Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Chance Smith of the band Kerosene Heights. We talked about Sasha's self-titled 1998 album and honestly about their discography as a whole. We also chat about finding music from friends and file sharing as well as Scram, Screamo, or whatever you call it, as a genre. Kerosene Heights released their EP No More Bad Dreams in February of this year and have already followed that up with a new single, Things I Do. Check that out now. Okay, so if you like what we do on the main feed, then please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month and get an exclusive episode every week. Really helps, and... Recently, we updated our Zoom, so that costs money now. So joining the Patreon, you get free episodes, and you're really helping us so much. There's a lot of housekeeping and hosting that goes on with doing a podcast that you wouldn't even imagine. So thank you and appreciate the support. Okay, no delays. Let's chat with Chance. Hey Chance, how's it going? Good, happy to be here. And we are talking about Seisha's, well, we're actually talking about the full collection. So that's what you wanted to come here and talk about today. So I wrote down Seisha, the self-titled album that came out in 1998. Because um, basically the collection is like an hour long. And yeah. as anyone who's listened to any of these episodes, I feel like that's always a complaint I make. Uh, is that uh, records can be too long. So sometimes with entire discographies, I feel like my my stance on them has shifted from when I used to just download things on, I don't know, Mediafire to now. Because mm-hmm. like if I'm, if I'm streaming something, like when I used to download things, um, I wanted all of it. I wanted it to be two hours long. I wanted every single version of like, every like Sasha track Joshua fit for battle or any of those kind of things. But now yeah, when it's like course. with streaming, it's like, I want what I want in that moment, you know? Cause like you had a thing where it's like, you almost had to pack rat them because you weren't sure, you know, it was like, Oh, I don't know if I'll be able to get any more straight edge kegger or anything like that. Or like other yeah. kind of fast punk things. So you went to like your friend's house and just took all of this, you know, spaz stuff, you know, anything. Yeah, yeah, my first introduction to Seisha was on a burned CD, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and so when so when was the first time you listened to Seisha? I know you kind of just mentioned it, but if you want to go more into detail with that. Yeah, um, I was probably about 16. Uh, I was really active. I was living in Nashville at the time, and I was really active in um, the DIY scene there, which was pretty much exclusively just like heavy music um when i found seisha i was on like a very like i wanted to hear the most extreme music i could at the time so i was big into like 90s la power violence like capitalist casualties and despise you and then bands like man is the bastard or um dystopia like those were all my favorite bands at the time but, and that was the music I was kind of striving to make, but 
I was 16 and still kind of figuring it out. Anyway, I had one friend in the scene who was basically the encyclopedia uh, to Screamo. And I always liked the stuff uh, he played. His name was Jesse. Um, That was the music he made, but also just only listened to. And I always liked that stuff. Uh, It was cool. I've always aside from what I was into at that very moment I've definitely always had a soft spot for melody um so he was always playing like Dytro and City of Caterpillar and Page 99 and stuff like that um but I remember one time uh we were playing Magic the Gathering and he had um just like a mixed CD of Screamo shit playing and um the burden of reflecting came on, which is kind of why I felt like those like last five songs they stuck on the end of the album for collected were so important because when I heard that, I was like, what the fuck? Like it totally, um, opened me up to something different. And of course it's still like screamy and heavy, but it was like jazzy and there was talking and singing also like, I don't know, it changed my whole perspective of how, like, my rigid view of how I thought heavy music was supposed to be or supposed to be about. And um, I was like, I want all the music from this band that you have on a CD, you know. And um, from there, and it was it was basically collected, you know. Um, this was probably in, like, 2011, something like that. Um, yeah. And from there, they were just like, for a long time, they were my favorite band, like pretty much the only thing I listened to. And uh, I started trying to like bring some of that into my band, which was definitely awkward at times Yeah. uh, with our other songs. But um, yeah, and I I think it plays a big part in like um, the type of music I make now. It's like definitely not connected um to Seisha in any way we're not any kind of screamo band but I kind of think that if I had never found that band I wouldn't have made the band that I'm in now yeah there I feel like there's like a thing that I I mean I definitely don't make screamo music myself but I feel like there's a place that it has like even in my songwriting that kind of like pushes almost like theatrics is the word that because like when a lot of times when these kind of screamo songs like Seisha and really any of the stuff level playing record stuff from this time frame um there's often a point in like a song where it kind of opens up you get a lot of melody and you know it almost kind of becomes akin to like like post-rock in a way yeah you know and I feel like a lot of those people end up going that way after they do screamo so there's a lot of like kind of things back and forth and that's that's just often how that's been uh throughout like the history of it um i i think though kind of going back to that that cd your friend made to you was it did they just put seisha songs together or do you think it was just the retrospective that level plane put out it was the retrospective so it was the album and then like venus and bacchus and all the like five or so other songs recorded after that yeah i can't figure out like kind of what the difference is because i I didn't like sit them there and compare them but i it feels like there might be something 
Is there something missing that was on retrospective that isn't on collected? Um, I'm not sure. I kind of feel like the live recordings are the difference. Okay, yeah, or the only difference that I guess that would be because then that is always sometimes when you get a lot of those collection things, you get to the end uh, of like any like youth crew discography, and then you're getting like the same songs again, just the live versions, and it can be yeah. fun depending on the mood you're in. But after like twenty some tracks, so I appreciate what you know they did, Secret Voice did when they released Collected. Uh, so when online when it lists like the order of the collected it says like it's the lp that i was talking about at the top and then yeah. aaron l and then the demo and then a compilation track and yeah. so i'm wondering so the thing i'm the the difference that i'm kind of alluding to is that then where's the satia seven inch or is that are those songs that were on both i want to say that Okay, so either it's on the front end and some of the things from the original LP were a 7-inch prior, or some of those songs on the back end um, were a 7-inch after the LP was released. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, One of those is true. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so kind of like going back into this, I mean, like, I think even with our emails back and forth, like, I have this thing now for as much as like screamo was like a big part of my life for a good period of time um when i think about it now it's almost like it's like the meme of, oh shit here we go again thing <laughs> you yeah. know it's like it's like ah oh, fuck you know i just always think i'm not gonna like it because i i feel like i've just spent it's like i've i've done my time you know and yeah. I, I don't i don't as much go back to like listening to screamo but then kind of like as after i kind of dusted that off and kind of like tried to i try and go into almost like any record anyone picks like just like truthfully give it a shot and mm-hmm. then like i was i was like pleasantly surprised that after you know like one or two listens like i felt like i started like connecting with it again and it also in a weird way like and i wouldn't say seisha is like my favorite band of that era uh, but it made me kind of long for other level playing stuff that I liked better. Yeah. And I think that's like even a good feeling. You know, it made me think a lot about like other stuff I was into, like, like Lick Golden Sky was a big one uh, yeah. for me. Because I think from my, from the way that I got into Screamo was somewhat from Power Violence, but I don't, I don't think I really realized what Power Violence was at the time. Like I liked you know spaz and i liked uh, charles bronson and stuff yeah but it was just like chaotic punk to me like it was like it, and i've told this on the pod before but it was like essentially when the older people were giving me cds like my older brother or like his friends that had like liberty spikes they just were like this is punk yeah so it was like in one day that i would get social distortion i would also get like spaz so i was just like all right, it's all punk, you know? And <laughs> yeah. then it was like, my brother brought home like hot water music and I'm just like, this a lot, punk is way, you know, broad. There's a lot know? going on here. <laughs> yeah, and so it was just punk to me. And then, but eventually like as I got, I got really into like metalcore. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the things that were, I was going to say like loud, but I think some of the things that kind of crossed over were bands like, like Lick Golden Sky or some of the bands that kind of like, had like heavier recordings 
you know, yeah. that were more akin to metalcore, but were still like firmly in like screamo. So that's a lot of stuff that I heard of, like, you know, when I was younger. Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, I kind of think like my connection and relationship to Seisha as a band um, was very much like a time and place thing uh, to where like I just happened to be paying attention when that song came on yeah. and um, connected with it in that moment and then really dived into it. I have this like, um, I have like a really specific thing for uh, vocals and lyrics because that's my main thing in my band and just in general and writing music always has been. And, um, something about Billy's from Seisha stuck with me. Like I love, um, a ton of screamo music and recognize that there are, are probably even better bands, but something about, um, his vocals and the, uh, lyrics really, it, I hadn't heard anything in that genre that I like thought about so much, you know, um, Mm -hmm. everything else was pretty straightforward and, um, not quite as personal, I would say, or vulnerable maybe is a better word. Um, so, cause I was, I've always been like a pretty emotional dude and the music, the feeling of the music that I was into was reflecting that, but like, lyrical content wise like was speaking on a lot of like issues related to the west coast in the 90s you know so um i felt like once i heard that band um once i heard seisha i was like oh this shit it's lasting you know like like you said i i've been listening to it a lot since we started talking and i'm like i still connect with this the same way i did when i was a kid you know Mm mm-hmm yeah and in like i I was kind of mentioning with you know like it basically yeah it just wasn't one of the first ones that i connected with so i don't don't feel like i have that kind of like nostalgic thing like i would probably even like reach for like hot cross or joshua fit for battle more um but that's just kind of like that's what was given to me at the time like seisha was something that i had to kind of like discover like just download myself later after the fact because you know, I just was lucky enough to have a friend that had a few level playing stuff, but we didn't, we didn't really know, you know, it's like you didn't think about like, oh, this fits into this scene, or at least I didn't, and I believe I'm a little bit older than you, I would assume, and um, so it's just, you just kind of took it at face value. I feel like potentially around when like Mediafire stuff started happening, then you were kind of able to get like these little histories on a lot of sites. And so you were able to like fill in these gaps and then become like a, and it's like punk historian, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I uh, was never one to like be up on what was released where on what label or anything. That's something I've been getting into like more recently. And plus when Seisha, when I discovered Seisha or they were showed to me, um, there wasn't a lot of info about them like on the internet, like you just said. Um, yeah. So it definitely had that, like, it was also that, like, which sounds silly now because so many people know about them, but at the time in high school, it had that, like, proverbial obscure band that, like, only I was into, and it was, like, my thing, you know? Like, um, 
even even in some of the like heavy circles that I was running in, I had tons of friends who didn't know that band at the time. You know. Yeah. Um, whenever I met, like, I had a few people when I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina. There were like a couple people that we kind of knew were like screamo kids, and mm-hmm. you know, just like in the actual sense, because. I know, like, probably as we're saying screamo, a lot of different things pop up into people's heads, or even if they're, like, older than, let's say if they're 10 years older than me, then their screamo is different for them, too. And so, but I guess, like, we're really talking about, like, this time period of stuff like Seisha. Yeah, scrams, if you will. Scrams, yeah, would be the kind of the the post kind of way of explaining it. Uh, But there were a few, like, scrams kids in town. And, but they would end up just going to like metalcore shows and every once in a while they would, you know, they would have like a shirt on that would be like page 99. And so I'd be like, what's that? You know? And then they would, you know, kind of go, huh, you know, like you didn't know. Um, and that, that was kind of the, you know, that was kind of the stereotype (laughs) of it, you know? Um, and it's not to say I wasn't like that person to somebody else, but I was like firmly listening to like throw down and Acacia strain at that point. So, you know, I was intrigued by kind of like them even being like a side of the scene that we were. And if any of that came through town, like it seemed to only play at people's houses. You know, yeah, and a lot of it I didn't even realize till like after the fact. I remember this guy that posted on uh, Viva La Vinyl this message board that I was a part of. I didn't realize till later he was like, uh, well, he's like a DJ now, but he he hosted screamo scram shows in like his house, and it was kind of like a known thing across the internet. But I didn't put the pieces together when I actually lived in town with him. So that's kind of all that to say, like, you really did have to almost like be in the know, like even if you were in a scene that was a subculture there was a smaller or at least a more exclusive feeling subculture than like heavy music is what a lot of times this felt like for sure yeah like i was saying like in nashville i was definitely like involved in the diy scene but there was still only you know jesse and uh the band he played in altar of complaints which was like a screamo uh scrams band um Basically, the members of that band were in on this, like, whole other thing. And, like, other people might have been aware of it, you know, or, like, seen it. Um, but it wasn't as popular as just other shit that was going on. And I think that's another thing I really like about it, you know. Um, just the, like, fact that it was, like, this thing that happened and it never got really big. It was, like, house shows and, like, weird you know, DIY spaces and then like kind of fell off. And, but at the same time, like the term screamo, which I use really loosely now cause I'm so removed from like whatever connotation to like mainstream screamo exists. Mm-hmm. I just use that for the bands I like, but I know there's whole other worlds of it. But, um, the fact that it went on to be something that was bigger and there were these like, key players in the beginning i don't know the whole the whole like mythology of it was really cool to me because i'm definitely someone if i find a band that i'm very interested in um i want to learn about them and i think uh with seisha and just a lot of screamo music in general the fact that i couldn't do that um, made it even more intriguing to me, you know? There was, like, three pictures of Seisha online, like, playing shows, yeah. and they were shitty pictures. Uh, 
Um, one thing I did find, though, um, a little later on, which is kind of a fun read for anybody who cares, is, uh, and maybe you've heard of it, but uh, one of the members, I believe one of the guitarists, um, made a blog spot called Ruining Seisha. And, I haven't heard about this. Yeah, and uh, basically just talked about, it was after the band, obviously, and talked about like all of their grievances with the band and like all the bands that he ripped off in Seisha songs and like with links to YouTube videos of other bands that were around at the time. And um, it's a bummer, but it's kind of a funny read this much later on, you know? So with him doing that, do you feel like, it wasn't, was it almost him taking the piss out of himself? Like almost like making fun of himself or like, was it like a dig at other band members? Yeah, I, um, it's been so long since I actually read it, but, um, I know that there was some internal beef that kind of led to the, to the demise of that band. Um, and I, it kind of, the blog came out later and I think it was kind of like, it's stupid that our band is like, people are looking at our band like this because we just like ripped off other bands and blah, blah, blah. Um, which there's yeah. definitely space for saying that. I mean, for sure. Like whatever bands deserve their credit, you know. Um, but it didn't take away from my love of the band personally. So basically, I think that um, whoever made it, which it's still up. I, I sent it to somebody recently, uh, whichever member of the band made it. Um, their main concern was giving credit to smaller bands that they ripped off. <laughs> well, what's funny though, is like fair, <laughs> but this is a band that was around from 1997 to 1999. Yeah. So it's like, it's cool that they did that. But I would say in no context during 1997 and 99 were Seisha a big band. Exactly. And so it, it's history has made that different, and history has made them be one that was remembered, but there's no control that they could have done it. And also, like, you know, if anyone were to even listen to this, it's like, maybe they do this now because it's even much years past this point of them making the site. Kind of like, gotta give yourself kind of a little break as like yeah. they were kids yeah you they know? were like, like 19 20 years old and like that happens so often you know um even if you don't realize it i mean i think like it's there's so many songs that like you write a song and you're like shit that's close to closing time you know something yeah. you know it's <laughs> yeah. like you know it's like there's so many only so many like rock chords and there's only so many ways like this band that i'm friends with they were kind of joking about like well, they were going to send a song to like someone to sing on, but then they realized the song that they were getting the person to sing on was close to like a chorus that person had written. And they didn't really do that on purpose at first, but they were like kind of funny now. Yeah. Um, so it's like you kind of do this stuff without realizing if you realize that that's like a different kind of thing you got to work through, you know, like, yeah. but I think a lot of people that end up like ripping off songs don't really realize you're doing it because you're just kind of hearing these things and you're kind of just creatively, you know, I, I don't, I don't really believe that most people writing music are like some Carlos Mencia kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's just like, I just think you kind of hear it and then you almost like rehear it and you think you wrote it, you know, especially, and so if you realize it. Yeah. Especially with like, um, 
a kind of newer genre, you know, there's, there's not a ton of stuff to, uh, base off of when you're making something new and, and just young bands in general, they were a band for two years and I'm sure wrote a lot of that music on the front end. And that happens when you're like first starting a band, figuring out what you want to sound like, who you kind of want to sound like, where you want to sit in that world, you know? Um, so yeah, it's kind of silly. I mean, I was super stoked to see they have an Instagram now, so I'm not trying to rehash bullshit that they had going on. But well, I mean, it seems like whatever it was, they worked through it, so that's great. Yeah, I, you know. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm excited. It's like I'm excited that there's a Seisha reunion. Like, even if in a sense, like I don't, I don't, I don't know where they would play. I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't assume that this band will go on tour. Yeah. I don't even assume I'll end up being able to see them. But like. I don't really get too mad about like reunion stuff because I feel like it doesn't change anything about the music that it did for me. And also it's like, if they could get some money doing this, that's fine. But I doubt that's the reason because I still, they're still not as big as Screamo has become. There's not like big money Screamo. Yeah. Like it's like, it's like, they're not, none of these people, they would be much better served. Any of us that have played music, you know, like, uh, you know, like you're much better served just working a job. Than, yeah. You know, like unless you're like in like the crow mags or something like you're not going to be making tons of money like they could they can do some festival dates. And I bet they will. That may be the point of them doing this. But <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know, <they're... laughs> I uh, I actually listen. There's an episode with um, Billy Werner on that Dan Ozzy podcast. Okay. And uh, it came out years ago, like I think 2017. And I listened to that. And I mean, I don't want to speak to it too much, but it sounds like whatever that Billy Werner dude is going to do as far as Seisha in 2022 or whatever, um, it seems like he would go about it the right way based on what he was saying in that podcast, you know, like in a tasteful way. Like he knows the, the outlook of like the optics of reunion shows and like reunions of bands and what that can be about and what it can look like Mm -hmm. and seems to have like wrestled with the idea for a long time. So I feel like if it's happening, there's a, a solid reason for it, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's just as simple as like, they just wanted to play music with their friends again. Yeah. You know? Like it's cause it's like when they're of that age, I assume they're like in their forties. Like it's, you know, it's, it's like you, it's hard enough to like start a band, like really at any age, but you know, it's so it's like, if you could kind of reconnect with these people that you had such a relationship with and either keep playing the same songs or that might be the exercise it might be like, Hey, let's dust them off. And I just want to feel like what it feels like again. Yeah. You know? So it's like no shame there. When I think of the recent kind of reunions with it, and I don't want to compare the two bands really at all, uh, but was it, um, do you recall, like, was it Heroin tried to reunite, like, a year or so ago? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go so well. Just from a picture. They, they yeah. didn't even make it past one post. Past... <laughs> no. No. Um, so that's what, I mean, and not to say anything about anyone in this band, like, but I was just like, yeah. fingers crossed when they reunited. Because it's like, 
Man, I don't I don't know what that dude's about in heroin. You yeah, know, it didn't seem great, no. but also like people were stupid as shit in the nineties. Like, like, and also there were so many things that people were doing, and people still do this, but even so much more so in the nineties, where it was like there was this idea of kind of like using hateful images to kind of recontextualize them to take the piss out of like racists. So there was this weird like trying to reclaim things in the 90s that was like it kind of a lot of times in punk songs you get it as like irony like you get you get almost like slurs as an ironic sense to take out and i'm not like saying that's cool yeah but it was like whenever like somebody would use like you know early descendant songs where they would say like you know certain like call someone you know gay or whatever just you know in context it's like the idea was to almost because they were called that by like let's say rednecks. Exactly. Still in 2022, it doesn't it doesn't age well. It doesn't read. The and same. a lot of those yeah, and a lot of those bands are kind of you know redo their lyrics so when they sing them live and they're like you know it is what it is we were idiots. Yeah. You know? Um. So all that to say, I don't know the guy's personal politics and heroin, but there could be a chance that it was just a really bad tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, I you think know, you have a responsibility like, yeah. of getting it covered up. You do. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely do. 100%. You know, like, uh, I, I I, mean, the big thing is you shouldn't have gotten in the first place. Yeah. The other thing, it's like, whatever kind of, like, 1995 politic kind of made sense in 1995, you've had a lot of time to get a 1995 tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. For sure. Yeah, so definitely don't want to let that pass. I'm not, you know, but I'm just kind of thinking about kind of like the idea of uh, kind of like there was even a few years ago where Gorilla Biscuits. Uh, I remember said that. Something, yeah. Yeah. I, and I don't need to get too into it. I think it was just, it was just my point of it being like whenever people were almost, let's say, progressive at the time and they were progressive for 1995 or whatever, yeah. whatever year it is. Uh, and then you kind of just go and live your life as whatever these people do. Maybe they're like lawyers, maybe because I mean, some of the people in Seisho went to NYU. Yeah. So it's like they could have very well, very much careers in like a New York sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ability to live in the city. Yeah. So, exactly. you know, like, so whenever you kind of like freeze that in amber and then unthaw it. And then, then you're like the guy in chokehold. I don't know if you remember that from a few years ago. I don't remember that. So essentially, ended up kind of saying something uh, transphobic, but then people were like, chokehold were like the forefront of so much like politics at the time. Yeah, you know. But I was like, well, that's '95 politics. Yeah. A lot of those people, like, even, there was a point in society. Where I think that Fat Mike from No Effects was cutting edge. Yeah, and then there's a, there's a thing that people do, and I mean I find myself doing it in certain respects, not in the same sense, but you almost you just get to an age where you kind of stop growing, you know. And so so when reunions happen, that's always my yeah my worry with it. You know, it's like, are they built for this world? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because. <laughs> heroin for example that just needed an explanation you know like if you're gonna come out like that you have to explain yourself nowadays <laughs> like I, did we ever get like a explanation or did they just go away i don't know i don't remember anything i, 
I can't. It's like that could have been ten years ago. I don't. I don't really know. I, I do want to say that I think the, um, you know, as poorly worded and stupid as it sounded to society now, like I believe that the Gorilla Biscuits thing was a badly worded moment because, yeah, that that album. I say it all the time. Like I think that album should be given to kids. You know, <laughs> like their album is like one of the most positive albums. I've ever heard like every song is like, don't pre- procrastinate. Don't be racist. Don't watch TV all the time. Don't, you know, like it's all good. Like I, I find yeah. it hard to believe that that dude was speaking with any negative intention. No, you know? I don't think he was like, I think it was just like, it really felt like it's, he said a string of words on the stage and then was kind of like, you know, it's like, Oh, I put all those together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, it's, essentially it was like, it was like all lives matter by the end of it, but it wasn't really what he meant to say, but no. it's like, that's how it came off. And then, then people kind of jumped at it. And then it was, I really honestly saw people like destroying their grill biscuit stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you already bought it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> that's what like, and I totally understand anybody who's unfamiliar uh, with the band being like that being off-putting and not understanding it, you know, totally justified. But I just can't imagine being a Gorilla Biscuits fan and like knowing what they're about and um, taking that at such face value, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think, too, there's like a there's like a thing that we kind of have to do. We almost have to give. I don't know what the percentage would be, but it's like we kind of got to give a little bit of a step and a little bit like when someone like the guy in Gorilla Biscuits says something that's, you know, you, you realize that they said something clunky. Yeah. But you understand that they mean well. You kind of have to give people a little bit of grace, I think. Yeah, they're not as Because I didn't want to say pass. It's like you got to give them a little grace and be like, we understood what they meant, you know. But you can't like say a, that. <laughs> No, no, especially not at the time. I think like enough distance has happened now that I don't, people don't know what we're talking about or not would even care. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're not as heightened in that sense because what I, what I get bummed about whenever those become like big part of like the issue of the day is that I feel like there are real strong, true issues that, I mean, you can think of two things at once, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, but like if we get really hung up on that, then like when like true issues kind of come around like are we going to deal with them properly are we not giving the right time to it um because we just want to invest all our time and like just guy said word bad yeah you know and not even yeah so it's just like you know kind of give things like that grace but to go back to Sasha, no one's done anything yet yes it seems really great so (laughs) and on that on that um on that dan ozzy podcast Yes. Uh, to the exact opposite effect, I heard Billy Werner say that um, his concern as a straight white person, uh, mm. male, um, would be taking away opportunity, like filling space for um, black people or queer people who belong in the space as much, if not more than him. Uh, I mean, that's really cool because, I mean, it, I mean, that's surprise, not surprising in a way that I, I don't know this person, but you know, that's, that's great that he said that, Yeah, you know, um, and like kind of, I mean, there are so many bands that I think are, have taken like 
screamo in a way and ran with it in like a new sense. Like even when I was listening to Seisha and Lit Golden Sky, Lit Golden Sky specifically, I hear so much of them in the band Soul Glow. Yeah. And I don't know if they're, you know, they've heard them. I mean, they probably have because they, they seem well versed in that style. But I found that really interesting because there was a lot of different kind of cues that I'm like, this reminds, I didn't realize until re-listening to Lit Golden Sky that I was like, oh, Soul Glow is doing this. So there's new bands kind of recontextualizing this sound. You know, the level playing record sound is what I'm putting in. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I also think like, um, if you are a band like that, that people really want to see, like, as opposed to taking up space, you could like create an opportunity where you play with bands like that, that you want to see taking up space in uh, heavy yeah. scenes, you know, and, and give them an opportunity, which would be really cool. Also, you know, I'm fi- yeah. fingers crossed for a very positive, whatever this whole Seisha thing that's popping up now, fingers crossed that it like stays positive and. That would be really cool if they end up doing, uh, like, let's just say they play major markets, you know, and they pick really cool bills on each show. So let's say it's like Philly and then it is, you know, it is Soul Glow. And like, if they played somewhere like Nashville, it's like Third Face or something. Those are my friends, actually. Uh, Third Face. uh, They're they're a great band. Yeah, Uh, great people, too. But, you know, just like any of those kind of things, like, to kind of even show that you kind of like, are still in it and invested in that sound that you did. Cause it does, it is kind of a bummer where people come back and then they're like, they only knew that, I guess I'll say again, like the 1995 versions for them. It's like for Seisha, it's like the 1998 version of who they were. Yeah. And then I only play with their friends who reunited or just, it's, it's nothing of like a, this is implanted in the new era. Like that's how it should be. Exactly. Cause even like when you look at like, I feel like even, not in a sense of new bands per se, but I feel like even Jawbreaker has done a pretty good job of like picking the bands that they're having for it yeah. um, and doing a really good job of curating it for a specific person. It still might be an older person, but it's still interesting to see them being like, oh, this is the bill we think you want to see and it not just feel like a booking company put it all together. Exactly. You know? To kind of like have something curated would be an interesting thing to see Seisha do. Cause even when I was looking at like who is in the band now, cause it looks like the, Oh, well, Greg Drudy, who we haven't really spoken directly about. He's not a part of their reunion. Um, so the drummer from on the might of princes, uh, another long Island band mm-hmm. is the drummer for the new gotcha. version. Gotcha. Yeah. So, but that's interesting picking him being a part of it because that kind of pulls another kind of connection of that time frame. Yeah. Into the equation. Which yeah, for is sure. Exciting. That is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure like why Greg Drudy isn't a part of it, you know? Um, but I do, I do remember like, were you into like level playing record stuff? I know you said you didn't necessarily know labels until like later. Yeah. So. Uh, if you tell me some bands, I probably was, but, um, yeah, you were probably into all the bands. Like it was, it was almost like it was either bands that were members of Seisha or it was people that they were directly friends with. So, um, you know, some of the bands that are mentioned are like city account, city of Caterpillar, uh, page 99, Neil Perry, uh, Savior, Jerome's dream. Yes. Uh, light the fuse and run. 
and uh well and then directly it's like off minor and hot cross you know their own projects after the fact yeah i like uh most of those bands jerome's dream off minor hot cross of course um city of caterpillar which they're playing fest and i'm stoked about that um yeah so yes i was a fan of other um things on that label i just didn't realize at the time because i was getting burned cds (laughs) yeah true (laughs) 10 years later so they have been called the essential document of Screamo, is what someone from All Music said. And then I also realized that the band name is a Miles Davis song yep. reference, uh, which is easily Googleable fact. But what is also funny, I like that they kept with the theme, and then Aaron L. is also a Thelonious Monk reference. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't so know that. It's, uh, yeah, so Seisha was like a misspelling uh, yes, a, uh, Miles Davis song. So I think Aaron L is the same thing type of thing. I think say, the the story of their name it might be one of the only facts, like fun facts, I knew about them for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of the kind of rumors that I heard about Greg Drudy was that like he was like stealing money from bands, but this was like message board chatter. So I don't have any way to say it. But what is even more interesting, which is a truth fact he was the original drummer of interpol yeah man so that's, that that's interesting to think of the crazy two to me yeah having any sort of connection but when i think about like every kind of older than me kind of screamo dude they all get into like synth music yeah like synth and electronic stuff so it's like it's not i think that billy confusing. werner did a yeah. little bit of that the vocalist i think he did a little yeah. bit of uh EDM stuff, but also in that podcast, I heard that there wasn't really any connection between like the Interpol scene and what was going on with Seisha. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't that was like a personal relationship that the drummer made. But other than it's not like the shows were happening no, no. together yeah, or like not. they were fans yeah. of each other. It was just like totally outside of that. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, kind of a more sad fact so the original bassist alex madera he died of an allergic reaction early into the band whoa and they yeah and uh he so i guess i think it was like allergic reaction due to like a food and then um he was in a coma and then passed away like 18 days later and then they kind of seemed to just have like a slew of bassists after that point. yeah so I don't know the story behind it. I mean, that might just be what it was, you know, but that had to kind of like affect them in some way that I wonder like if it comes across in their music, because it was actually something that you said earlier. And I kind of want to get into it like with your own songwriting where you were kind of mentioning like, I think you said Magic the Gathering, or was it Dungeons and Dragons? Like you, you were listening to, you were listening to the music and you felt like the, lyrics stuck out to you Mm -hmm. so what's interesting is this is like a common thing that i bring up on the pod a lot is how i don't feel like i tend to like recognize lyrics and i always like i say that poorly it's like i know i mean i've written my own lyrics i sing in my bands and stuff and i get when lyrics are bad yeah but when i'm listening to a song i it's not the first thing that hits me you know, like, I feel like my 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 wife, she, like, when she's listened to a song, it's like, 
she's hearing everything that's being thrown at her word wise. And it sounds like it's the same way for you. One of the previous guests that I had on, uh, we were talking about Rilo Kylie and she said that, you know, as much as she'd like to say <laughs> that, you know, she's like, she does the same thing. So I wonder if it's like a mental thing or why you think that might be, and you might not have an answer for it. Um, well, I only started playing guitar two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been writing lyrics and, um, it definitely, uh, was his style of singing and yelling. And, um, in that song, Burden of Reflecting, which is the first Seisha song I know I heard, um, there's a lot of back and forth of that, which kind of, that was the first, like, um, trigger for me basically of like, wait a second, what's happening here? And, uh, I could fully, I didn't need to read a lyric sheet, you know? And, um, that's when I realized that I really liked what he's saying. Um, there's like a very specific space of lyrics that I'm, uh, very into. Um, so all the lyrics that I write personally are very literal. Um, and I like that a lot, but when someone can kind of do that in the same way, but more, I don't know, artistically or like layer it a little bit. I like that. And I think that's what they do really well. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot, uh, just, there's a lot of familiar words in it. um, But it's kind of making something bigger, if that makes any sense at all. No, that makes sense. I feel like I, when I'm personally writing lyrics, I try to get really specific and literal. And it's it's almost like been like a kind of take out the little things that take it away from the actual point has been like a thing that I've been striving for. Because when uh, sometimes my issue with like flowery language is what I'll say, because that's, that's what a good word. Use yeah. it liter- liter- literally eh, in literature. Yeah. Um, then I feel like sometimes with lyric writing, people are trying to hide what they actually mean. Yes. And in a, in a similar sense, but it, it's kind of different, whenever songs get too, like, sarcastic, I feel like it's like, you know, you truthfully mean this thing, you're trying to just couch it in some irony, so you're scared to say the thing you truly mean. That's like a normal mechanism in just talking, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, I do it when I'm talking all the time. Yeah. But, <laughs> so for songwriting, you know, it's like I, I try and avoid it, and sometimes I get kind of, you know angry you know to say it dramatically with like any of my friends bands that don't just say what you mean because they're scared and then they almost like make it into a joke song yeah you know and so going back to what you were saying with like the literal sense um i i do appreciate that with it i you know it's like i'm i think of a lot of songs where people throw in all this language i'm like but what what is this song about exactly what are you talking about like you you describe something as like chain mail and but i'm like but all you're really saying is you know that you're trying to protect yourself and that's fine because i think there are people that kind of convey a picture with it and then i i know exactly what they meant or i get an image of it and i think you did a then people did a great job but there's other times where i feel like people are building something because they're just scared to say what they want to say definitely definitely and i think just that um with Seisha specifically, I hadn't really um, 
dove into um, heavy music that was emotional yet. Um, okay. I've always loved bands like The Cure and stuff like that since I was young. Um, but I hadn't really heard it that way. Like if I was listening to heavy music, it was about like issues or like things outside of yourself, um, up to that point. Um, but once I heard them and how like interpersonal, whatever the fuck they were talking about was, um, I was like really into that and seeing how those things could work hand in hand, um, changed a lot for me as far as how I viewed um, this genre of music as a whole, punk or whatever, heavy music, um, whatever you want to call it. It changed to me how I could operate within that and like how um, it could sound and what it could be about. Um, yeah. So when you're listening to like any new song, though, do you feel like when you're listening to it, you're like, I know what that's about, you know, because I'll, I'll say this real quick. When I'm listening to a song, it might as well be uh, upon first glance and first couple listens might as voices might as well be a guitar Yeah, to me. Yeah. Like, it's just like, but are you sitting there and you're like, Oh, I got, I got all that. Um, I'm looking for it as far as oh, okay. whether I'm, I think that's a good, as far as whether or not I'm comprehending it, that just, that, depends uh yeah but i'm i'm looking for it um but i think there is some i don't know i don't have like a set feeling about this uh because like i know how i do things and i know how i like to do my things like i like writing songs that you could sit down and be like oh this is about this you know um but as a listener I like, it's almost like reading something surrealist, you know, you're like, all these things exist in my world, like all these words they're saying make sense to me, but if I have to put it together a little bit to like get the bigger picture, I'm kind of into that personally, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think like with lyrics, like in a sense of any singing, I'm it's like I'm attracted to like the melody of it a lot of times upon first glance. So in a way, like if I don't even have to think about if someone's lyrics are bad and the melody's good, yeah, you know, cause I think it's silly when sometimes people will read you lyrics and they're like, these are really bad. Yeah. And I'm like, but did you like it when the song was playing? And they're like, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well then score for that person. You know, like it's like truthfully like lyrics and poetry are like different things for sure. You know, and and sometimes like with a lot of screamo bands, it could be like prose, you know, but and it is interesting and a good pat on the back when somebody can like when you can read lyrics and they'd be good at face value. Yeah, I don't you know, that's commendable. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? So I, I will say that about like these lyrics, like I feel like they, you know, feel that way. Yeah, so, they stand on their Billy, own. Billy, if you're listening, congratulations. Great job. <laughs> you want at the very least you won our approval. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess like as you've gone into like your other bands and most recently Kerosene Heights, how do you feel like liking Seisha or this kind of like way of songwriting? How does it influence you writing these songs or does it? Um, it definitely does. Um, 
I fully believe that if I hadn't found that band, um, I wouldn't have got gotten into emo, um, which is what I we I kind of call my band an emo punk band. Um, so I think I kind of got into it um, earlier, but it really is like the vulnerability and the feeling of um, the vocals, like the vocal melodies and the sound of his voice and um, the lyrics. Uh, I think I would probably still be writing like anarcho punk songs um, if it weren't for that. Um, So that as much as we don't sound like that, I very much credit my ability to like dig deep and like share things about myself that I have trouble even talking about sometimes through music. Um, I fully credit that to them. I'm like one of those Seisha tattoo people. Like I have a Seisha tattoo. So it, it definitely left a huge impact and it's one, it's very few. It's one of very few tattoos that I didn't just get because I thought it was dumb or funny or whatever. (laughs) Like it's actually one that matters to me because, um, yeah, it just, it changed my whole perspective about, cause I always knew that I wanted to make heavy music or like alternative music or punk music of some sort, like something in that umbrella. Um, but it just kind of showed me that I could speak on a personal level, which is like all I do now about it. Yeah. And so with your like previous bands, you mentioned you've been playing guitar for two years. Um, were you, you were just like singing in the band? Yeah. Or? Just doing vocals. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with that. I, for a, a good period of time, like I was just fronting bands and then eventually it was like, I got to learn an instrument, you know? Yeah. Um, and then all these years later, um, uh, I guess I'm a bass player. You know? Yeah. So I, so I know how that goes. I, you know, grew up in Nashville. I went to high school in Nashville, so I had tons of friends there. And uh, it didn't take too much to start a band, like a ton of people there play music. Um, But I actually went to rehab and got sober and moved to Asheville. And once I moved to Asheville, I was like, I don't know anybody here. Like, if I want to keep writing music, I have to figure out how to play guitar. And luckily, I found people here to make music with um, not long after. But that was, it came of a need to write lyrics like my my whole drive of playing guitar just came from my like want to write songs um i've never been super interested in being able to shred or anything i just want to be able to write songs yeah and so i guess two years into playing guitar so that would put you did you start playing guitar like at the beginning of the pandemic or was yes. it before? Yeah, I moved to Asheville actually on March 18th, like the day of the shutdown. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that is the time to play guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting in a halfway house by myself all day long playing guitar for like a year. So it worked out. Yeah. It worked. It was a good time to like pick that up for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, because one of the questions I had, I feel like you kind of explained it, but I feel like it's it's interesting that kind of different people end up finding themselves in Asheville. 
Like it's always been a place that's like people from other places. I mean, you had kind of a reason that it put you there. Yeah. So that kind of explains it. But I feel like there's so many people either from different parts of the state. It's such a destination. Nobody when, like, bands come on tour. You know. Yeah. Nobody in my band is from North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's drum- interesting. Though. Yeah. Our drummer is from Rochester. Our guitarist is from Florida, and our bassist is from Illinois. And I'm from Tennessee. It is weird. It's a, there's not many people that you meet here from here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. As someone who was born and raised in North Carolina, it's, it's always like just kind of wondering what brings people here. So I guess like if you're speaking for like your bandmates, like in a simple sense, like what do you think led them to Asheville? Um, I have good answers for two, like straightforward answers for two of them. And yeah, then, that's um so scoot our drummer uh they work at moog and i'm pretty sure that's like what brought them to Asheville. and then um once again our guitarist justin uh moved here for a job too yeah so as kind of things start like you know opening back up and people have been playing shows for a while now uh how has it been playing have y'all played shows in Asheville yet yeah Okay. Uh, we've yeah. we've played two shows in Asheville, a show in Raleigh, and then uh, we're actually about to go on tour at the end of May. Oh wow! And so, how has Asheville kind of like? Are there other bands in Asheville like you all? Um, there's a couple emo bands. Uh, <clears throat> I think we tread a a kind of weird line between emo and punk music. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not you know, straightforward. I'm basically writing emotional punk songs and Justin's putting a bunch of twinkly guitar over it. Um, yeah, but there's a band called convalescent. That's a really good emo band. Um, and there's just like, there's a lot of DIY stuff going on. Nothing, uh, specifically like what we're doing really, but everybody's received it really well. Everybody's been really sweet and, showing up and supporting i think yeah uh, i have a i like making fun music you know and i felt like there wasn't enough of that here there's a lot of really interesting and cool music but i wanted to make like fun fast music that you would just hear at a house show you know um and so i think we're definitely bringing that to the table uh where it might have been lacking before But there's tons of good bands here doing cool shit. Yeah. Yeah, I think an interesting thing, uh, Charlotte's kind of the same way. It's like, if you moved to Charlotte or even Asheville and we're like, oh, where are all the emo bands at? You know, we might be able to find one or two, like you said, with your band and whatnot. Um, But the good thing about places like Asheville or Charlotte are that there are so many other types of bands. So it's like, if you're open to it, there's tons of other things that aren't just like, oh, this type of hardcore or something. Yeah. Because there might be one of those. But if you're like, I only like hardcore, then you're going to be a little bummed out living in places like Charlotte or Asheville because like they're, they're for as big a city as, and I guess Charlotte even more so than Asheville, oh, yeah. these scenes are really small, mm-hmm. you know? And But there's a lot of creative people and they're going to do like their own little creative thing. So it's like, it's nice when the shows are 
you know, kind of pretty mixed yeah. and people are just cool with that. And it's not like every night everyone's going to be cool with it. But overall, people seem open to the idea that like this is this kind of crust-ish band. I don't even know how much that exists in Asheville yeah. anymore. <laughs> and then this other band. And I feel like that's the best place of living in that, that even like Nashville might have a, a lot of, you know? Well, yeah, I, I would say it's very different from Nashville. Um, there was like some crossover there. Uh, but like there was like a DIY scene, a garage rock okay. scene, a metalcore scene, and you'd see people at different shows and stuff. But for the most part, like the scenes kind of stayed within themselves, you know? Um, and sorry, you froze again. You oh, you're good. Again, but, um, yes. Okay. So there were, I think you said for the most part, for the most part, the scene stayed to themselves, um, and did their own thing. Yeah. I, I was like, I mean, cause like cities like philly are like that you know it's like you can kind of exist in a certain thing that doesn't mean other people don't kind of jump around but you know i've never <laughs> been able to like live in a place that was like oh there's a there's like five or six other bands that sound kind of like mine yeah that's how you nashville know? was it was cool but I, there's definitely something to collaborating with people that you might not normally um in a sense of like playing shows or working together on things kind of cool to be exposed to different stuff yeah and so i know you kind of mentioned about going on tour so what what would you say like the next steps for kerosene heights are coming up over the next month or so um so even further yeah down the road for sure um so we're going on that tour uh we're playing with a band called farseek um they're like a georgia emo band Mm -hmm. um That'll be really fun, and then we're going to come back, and I've already started writing some songs, but we're going to start working on our second EP, um, and we're going to shop that around, see what, ha see what happens, if anything, release it ourselves again, and uh, we have a pretty big announcement coming up pretty soon that I can't share at the moment, but it. It was definitely kind of like a bucket list item that we're really excited about. I mean, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, you know, it's it's been good getting to revisit Seisha and also getting to know you. I appreciate it. For sure. I'm honored to be here. Welcome back. Thanks again a chance for coming on the pod. Don't forget to check out Kerosene Heights' new music wherever you do that sort of thing. If you're listening to this on the day that the episode comes out, then go over to The Alternative and check out Kerosene Heights' new single, Catherine. And also, they are going on tour at the end of May and into June with the band Farsi. So follow Kerosene Heights and figure out if that tour is going anywhere close to you. Okay, next time on the pod, we're talking with Scott Radensky of the band Pulley, previously of 10-foot pole and scared straight. If you're just a little too young to know what that is, he was also a pro baseball player. It was honestly such an amazing honor to talk with him. I've been a big fan. Uh, Pulley was on like every Punkarama comp, so this is huge. We also talked about one of my favorite bands, if not like my favorite band of all time, Who Screwed It. We talked about their 1984 album, Zen Arcade. There's a lot to talk about with Scott Radensky, so <laughs> hopefully in an hour we did some of it. 
you know, between Pulley, Husker Du, and a pro baseball career, it just kind of like hit on every single level of my interest. Uh, so it was amazing, to say the least. Once again, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do that sort of thing. Reviews definitely help. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.